Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily, we bring you insight from the best of economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Harm Banholtz here from Unicredit. Uh, he's in our Bloomberg 1130 studios uh, in New York. And Harm, let me just have you react to uh, this broadly. Uh, the geopolitical risk seems to continue here. Uh, of course, we've had a, a number of these tests here over these last few months. How does it, how does it complicate the economic picture here uh, in the U.S.? Well, I sent out I sent out a brief note yesterday talking mm. about the the tough timeline that um, the busy four that U.S. lawmakers ha- um, is lying ahead of U.S. lawmakers, and I mentioned that probably the debt ceiling is the biggest risk. And I was uh, smart enough to add a by sentence and in addition to a geopolitical risk, not knowing obviously what happens overnight. But uh, yes, um, it, it it certainly complicates. Um, this it, it it further fills up the timeline that Congress already has, and certainly President Trump has a lot to do. Um, to meet all these these deadlines, we're talking about shutdown, debt ceiling, and 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 many other things. The, the tax reform, NAFTA negotiations, all the stuff that is really on the top of investors' minds, and and they are they are closely following what's going on in D.C. And then you know you have the the horrific hurricane, mm-hmm. um, and then you have this geopolitical uh, stuff going on. So I, I think most of all, um, it it is um, if it further complicates the, the timeline for, for lawmakers in Washington. And of course, we hope that there's no further escalation. Yeah, it strikes me we're in a very similar position here. Obviously, this, this hurricane is, is a different variable, but you have a White House that was keen to embrace and, and push forward with tax reform this week, the president traveling to Missouri uh, to deliver what's being billed as a big speech on tax reform, trying to make that the paramount issue here uh, yet again. Uh, and, and news intercedes. What's, what's your outlook for tax reform uh, now as we await a statement, more details from this uh, group called the Big Six, uh, two representatives from the House, the Senate, uh, and the administration uh, as well. Uh, what's your sense of the timeline for that now, or if, if you think anything is going to be uh, be done altogether? Yeah, we took the the, the the tax cut stimulus off the table actually a couple mm. of months ago because it, it just looked too complicated and the int- the positions are too far apart um, for in our view, for this administration to get anything meaningfully done, right? And and we know that for 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 tax reform that that actually increases the deficit over some time, so it does not meet the bird rule. You need democratic support, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, not really not, not in there. the cards yeah. to say the least. So so you would need to do anything that is either revenue neutral or limited in time. Yeah. And um, and I don't think anybody really mm-hmm. wants it. It's not that helpful on the corporate side. So at the end of the day, we we thought yeah. our baseline is that we are no, getting no no tax reform done. Uh, good morning, everyone. Terrific news. So Mike Allen just publishing with Axos with two surveillance guests that we speak to often. Richard Haas, mm-hmm. we went back and forth with last night of Council on Foreign Relations. And also Ian Bremer of Eurasia Group. We'll give you updates on that in Korea uh, throughout the show. Um, I, I, I look, Harm, at, at where we are. What's your statistic for GDP? Out 12 months, you've been hugely uh, wonderful on a more tempered view of economic growth. You've been dead on. Have you changed that? Uh being dead on, I don't know. <laughs> well, not dead on, but you know, the vectors in the right no, no, direction. No, sorry, no. I, I think we are we are we are gradually slowing. So next end of next year, we are we are ending up at about two percent. I think two point zero. Some yeah, and and for the second half of this year, I have uh, to be a precise two point three percent. So I think we we still we have some momentum. We have been seeing this. Consumer spending looks good, actually, as it for a change. Capex well, spending with this looks Best Buy. 
well, consumer spending yeah. looks good. Yeah. Where's the where's what's not there that gets you to a sub three percent, sub two and a half percent statistic? How do you get there? To below to to below two and a half. Yeah. No, I, I think right now what we're seeing temporary strengths. I think it's catch up uh, in the energy side and something else on the, on the in, in capex spending. So that is that okay. looks good right now. I don't think it lasts. I think consumption growth has been a bit too strong giving the fundamentals. So I think there was a bit of a technical rebound. So I think with um, with employment gains moderating, um, inflation I think will start to rise again a little bit stronger. So we'll accelerate. So that takes mm -hmm. purchasing power away. So I think over time, growth rates will settle towards something that, which is potential. And actually, 2% is probably still a little bit higher than potential right. growth in the U.S. Aaron Bondles with us with uh, Unit Credit this morning. Uh, lots to continue, uh, lots to talk about with uh, Dr. Bondles. Harm, I want to, uh, I think it's so important. Uh, discuss on radio what we discussed on television. We are advantaged by you being on both our platforms uh, today, which is your outlier call on 3.0% unemployment rate. Is that morning in America? Is a 3% unemployment rate Mr. Reagan's picture of everything right for this nation? Well, as you said, we, we talked about it on, on TV, and then we also talked about the quality of the jobs. And so I, I said it's it, it's not that easy to dismiss all these job gains as being low-quality jobs, right? So that is not the case. So we have had also the creation of, of very many very high-quality jobs, very well-paid. What's missing is the middle class. But again, some of the jobs were not so well-paid. And I think the the problem in the U.S. is still rising inequality. So, mm -hmm. uh, so the unemployment rate is one important measure of a country's well-being, but it does not give us the whole picture. So I think I think the the despite of the falling unemployment rate, we or while the unemployment rate is falling, we still have growing inequality, mm -hmm. and I think that is really the, the the big the big problem of of this country, and not only of the U.S. But if you look at all these inequality measures, the U.S. is really ahead of the pack there. The, the rate is only one part of that picture. We get an update on that at the end of the, the week. Right. What are you expecting from the, the Labor Department on Friday? Well, we have um, payroll gains. I, I think we should not be surprised to see some slowing because the last two months have shown payroll gains north of 220,000, which was very strong. I think fundamentally too strong given where the economy is right now. I think cruising speed is something like 175,000. So I think we see something in the, in the vicinity of 150,000. So nothing too weak, but, but we also know that August has traditionally been a little bit of a, of a weak month for, for payroll gains, uh, and sometimes it has been revised up further. I remember a couple of years ago, the first print for payroll gains in August was a zero, and that was a big shock. I think in the meantime, it has been revised up to 150,000, that zero, uh, but, um, but yeah, so some, some slowing, but it's mostly a technical payback, if you want, for, for two strong gains in June and July. And the unemployment yeah. rate, I have it right now, stabilizing at 4.3%. Do, do you have any wisdom on pricing power? One of the themes of early summer was corporations really running up again of something we, we saw 15 years ago, which is an inability to raise prices. Yeah, I think that... No, I think more broadly, the, the lack of wage gains, the lack of higher inflation rates has been one of the big puzzles that we have been facing over yeah. the last several um, months or, or even even years. And certainly international competitiveness is, is, is a big problem um, for, for companies. Um, so yeah. competition, including online competition, technological progress and all that stuff. So that, that makes it harder for companies to, to raise prices. I mean, the best yeah. or a good example we just had yesterday was a great uh, big... Um, 
uh, grocery store, cut yeah. prices quite dramatically. How'd you know? That's right where I wanted to go. <laughs> the page to the New York Post. Good morning, everyone. Worldwide, there is a store in America called Whole Foods, which used to be as a joke Small called organic Whole grocery. Paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that I or David Gerv ever darkened the door. They slashed. David, I say slashed. Five ounce organic baby kale. You were paying in Brooklyn three ninety nine for this puppy. Yep. The new price is three forty nine. I mean, I was just Al from New Jersey can look at a pay reduction right there oh. alone within the Gura House. <laughs> the competitors at a dollar thirty nine. One Joe Trader Trader Joe's yes. a fifty a fifty cent reduction in kale at Whole Foods. It's going to affect small farmers like me. Trying to make a living. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Salmon, which frankly, full disclosure, I buy a lot of. Fourteen ninety nine down Coho, to nine ninety nine. We well, we try to buy the fancy stuff on sale, but it's only on sale like Christmas. You know, it's <laughs> and then avocados is the one that everybody set up. We had a guacamole frenzy at the house. Two fifty. I refuse to buy a two fifty avocado. Yeah. That's on American or on Mexican. They're now a dollar forty nine. Thank you, Mr. Bezos. Did you? Are you loaded up on kale? Loaded up. We went shopping on Sunday before all of this happened. That's I, what we I did. Regret, <laughs> I regret not that's, waiting a couple days. That's more. exactly <laughs> what the keto did. Anyways, we say good morning to Mr. Bezos. Hope he's listening with Amazon and the good people, Whole Foods, with price reductions. Futures negative fourteen. Down futures negative ninety eight worldwide. This is Bloomberg. Joining us now, a gentleman who I think over a cup of coffee, an August cup of coffee, David Gura, we could have like a four-hour conversation and not even get to Aaron Judge sitting on the bench. Ralph Schlossstein is president and chief executive officer, has to put up with Red Sox fan Roger Altman at Evercore, and he joins us now. I want to get to the big picture at the top of the hour. Right now, MyFed, M-I-F-E-D, which is a London thing, but I don't buy it for a minute. They want to they want to change the way brokerage firms are compensated for research services. Every way I read it, it's a massive pay reduction. Can it work in London, and will it migrate across the Atlantic Ocean? Well, I think what they're clearly trying to do trying uh, <laughs> is to have uh, more transparency in what. Uh, the managers of investors' money is being spent on. And uh, I think ultimately the the hidden goal of that is probably mm-hmm. to reduce a little bit the amount spent uh, on uh, research. Right. And uh, I, uh, it's clearly going to happen uh, in Europe. Uh, I think it will... Uh, Ooze into the U.S. market. Ooze uh, is a CFA so, word, David. Yeah. Uh, ooze, ooze. Which uh, <clears throat> will, it'll affect some of the larger global uh, firms, you know, the firms like my old firm, BlackRock and uh, Capital Group and Fidelity that have relatively seamless global equity uh, management franchises and they're not going to want to run 
their business one way in okay. the U.S. and the, another way. You're being so polite. You're killing me. Is this a bonus for Evercore in firms like you? You hate the word boutique, but you know the smaller yeah. firms, the huge success you and Roger have had. Is this a flight of intellectual component well, over to you guys? There's no question that the intellectual capital is fleeing Agreed. to independent firms. But I will think- my Fed in this tr- this pseudo transparency? leading to pay reductions for intellect. Is this the best thing that's happened to you since the surge by the Boston Red Sox? I, I think there, there are two effects. One is positive, one is negative. I think the positive one is that high-quality intellectual capital will be get a higher market share of the intellectual capital uh, compensation pool. Uh, there's a whole range of firms out there that say, well, we have to have an analyst in, you know, biotech. Uh, And that, you know, formerly have to have who was the number 13th person in that. Nobody's going to pay for that. This is so important, folks. And what a privilege to have Mr. Schlostein here with us today, who actually gets the resume across the desk. And he goes, you're kidding. We're not paying him that. Anyways, Ralph, I'm going to tear up here. It's so emotional to be back with David Gura. And there's only one way to Get back with David Gurr, and that's to listen to Peaches and Herb. David, it has to be about politics. And one of the interesting things of Mr. Schlossstein is a tour of duty a few years back with a president named Carter. Mm-hmm. Of course, his work with BlackRock and then with Evercore, his work with his Denison University over the years. As well, Ralph, I, I have to ask about the future of your Democratic Party. Can they maintain the status quo for 18 and for 2020, or do they need to? Is a general statement move to the center? Is it a time for political triage, or is it steady as she goes for the Democratic Party? Uh, well, uh, I hope it's not steady as she goes. I think the right now you have a highly united Democratic Party, but it's united by one thing yeah. uh, against Trump. <clears throat> but that was true of the Republicans when President Obama won. Exactly. I mean, so there. that's not a... That's not a unifying theme. That's not a policy that people can rally around. My own personal view is that we as a Democratic Party, it's, it, the, it's not as much about the left and the center. It's about being about economic growth for everyone in the country and not as uh, segmented and, and trying to touch each constituency. Uh, so... I think that naturally does move you to the center, uh, but there's a terrific new book written by a Columbia professor, Lilia, about uh, you know the need for the liberals or de- democratically inclined people mm-hmm. to focus on the betterment of all, not the betterment of a whole bunch of individual groups. And I think yeah. that's a really important theme. Maybe that matters and plays well in Wisconsin and Michigan. Good morning on uh, Sirius XM Channel 119 in key states, as they say. Dave, David, you're better at this than I am. 
How, how do you make sense of what's happening in Washington right now? How stark, how big is that divide between uh, between New York and, and, and D.C.? And uh, when you look at the regulatory landscape uh, in specific, we've got a fairly thick tome from the Treasury Department on banking regulation and what they'd like to do to, to change it. Do you have a sense of how that landscape is changing? Well, I, uh, I think the regulatory world tends to swing back and forth, and it always overswings. And, you know, I would argue that some of the uh, regulation that came about in Dodd-Frank is probably an overswing, uh, too much micromanagement. The really important things in Dodd-Frank are much higher capital standards uh, and much higher liquidity and lower leverage. That's what matters. And you can take away a lot of things like Volcker and all other stuff. As long as you keep those things, the system will be a whole lot safer. Uh, The rest of Washington, you know, we're going to learn a lot in the next uh, two or three months. Uh, We've got the debt ceiling. We've got the budget. We've got trade discussions uh, with Mexico and Canada and with China. And I think over the next two or three months, we're going to learn whether we have a functioning, reasonably stable, uh, effective governance or whether we have something that's a little less than that. Do you think we have a tendency to overplay the the role that Washington plays uh, in the economy right now? We're fascinated by this new Washington, for better or worse. Uh, do we do we posit that it has more influence than it really does? Uh, I actually would say that's not true. Uh-huh. Okay, and the reason is, if you look at, let's take the stock market. The stock market is the the value of a stock is a function of its earnings, and its Multiple, okay? Multiples are a function of confidence. So if you take away confidence in the effectiveness of our government, that has a negative effect, and not a small one, on the valuation of our markets, and that follows through to the economy. And we saw that, you know, if you go back over the last five years, what are the big, you know, downdrafts in equities? How's business doing in Washington? You're one of the you know fancy guys in business that goes down to Washington. I don't. You know it's more than <laughs> yeah, a, well, not right now. You don't. But but the turmoil has been extraordinary. Let's begin with Mr. Cohn. I mean, you're a great watcher of Wall Street. You've known Mr. Cohn's work at Goldman Sachs for years. Can a non-economist run the Federal Reserve system? Is is rumored maybe? Where was he? The Frisky Oyster in the Hamptons? He wasn't the Frisky Oyster, yeah. You, you've like been to the – you like own a corner <laughs> bar seat in the Frisky Oyster, I don't, don't you? No, I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. Can he run the Fed? Uh, sure. Look, the the what the Fed chairman has to be – he does not have to be or she doesn't have to be the world's greatest economist or the world's greatest prognosticator. Some would say that's an advantage. It could be an advantage, <laughs> but you know there, there are plenty of really smart – people uh, with deep economic backgrounds uh, Mm -hmm. on the open market committee and also the staff of the Fed. Uh, Really what that person has to be is someone who is uh, measured and understands the balance between, uh, you know, growth and inflation and employment and and inflation. And I don't think you need to be an economist to do that, to be honest. I think if you've got a long experience in financial markets, mm-hmm. uh, you can do that job as well. I was going to ask you yesterday if you were going to run an Uber, but we didn't, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't get there. I, I mean, Mr., you know, you, you look at some of the corporate 
going on? Is it the people out the door, people in the door, or that? What does it say about the tumult in the CEO off uh, the CEO office well, right st- now? Well, statistically, the life of CEOs in their seat yeah. has shortened a fair amount. Uh, you know, it's now down to I think five or I saw you checking your phone. Six years. <laughs> uh, well, I'm up till eight and a half, so I guess I'm an outlier. You're an outlier. But uh, look, there uh, the tolerance of investors uh, is shorter. The to- you know the activists have played a role uh, in that, and uh, and by the way, some of these things are constructive. The the tolerance on the part of boards. Uh, for uh, you know, behavior that uh, is not proper by any measure mm. has declined, and I actually think that's a, a good thing. I, we should have a high standard of behavior for our corporate executives, whether it's respect for uh, you know various genders or sexual preferences or religious orientations or uh, racial uh, orientation, and you know I, I think the the steps that were taken by a number of corporate executives over the last week or so to stand up mm. and and uh, speak very strongly about that is really important. How heavy a burden is there on the bank uh, executive these days? I, I think of how much we associate mm. uh, Lloyd Blankfein with Goldman Sachs, Jamie Dimon with uh, J.P. Morgan, you with Evercore. Uh, does one person have too much determinism at, at these banks right now, do you think? Is that association a, a bad thing? How do you see your role as, as the leader of a, of a bank? Well, uh, you know, my job's quite a bit different sure. from uh, Jamie and Lloyd's job, and they do both a great job at what they do. Uh, they have to worry. They, they are stewards for literally tens of billions, in Jamie's case, hundreds of billions of dollars of capital. So you've got to worry every day. About you know, that. will yeah. some whale in London do something that I'm not aware of uh, and embarrass the firm? Uh, you know, my case, you know, uh, I run a really talented basketball team, uh, and I got to make sure that they play well together uh, and that they uh, mm-hmm. the stars are all happy. But I'm not. I don't wake up at two in the morning wondering what some mammal has done with their money. Surface, yes. Uh, Ralph, thank you so much. Ralph Schlossstein with us, president. He's the chief executive officer of Evercore. David Gurr and Tom Keene, we're looking at images. Um, I have to turn around in the surveillance throne. It's like the throne in Game of Thrones that I sit in, but it's a little hard to turn around. About 12 feet tall. Uh, yeah, I, metal bleak. And, <laughs> and there is a bleak day in Washington, David Gurr. This is the rain. It touches New York, but you really wonder, does the, the storm of Texas touch up to a little bit of rain in Washington yeah, as well? Yeah, I think it's bound to happen uh, from what I was hearing a little earlier this morning. But the president preparing to head to Corpus Christi at Texas, we're looking at Air Force One there on the uh, tarmac at Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, he and the First yeah. Lady headed to Texas uh, in just a few minutes, and they'll uh, yeah. be both in Corpus Christi and Austin today. From Maine, we heard from the younger President Bush, uh, and President Bush Sr., I think, was involved as well, about the grit of Texas, uh, a united Texas during Hurricane Harvey. David Girl, why don't you bring in the esteemed congressman from the 32nd 
congressional district. This is somewhere in the vicinity of uh, most people rooting for the Dallas Cowboys, I believe, <laughs> the case in that district. And I believe he can count President Bush as one of his constituents. It's, uh, Congressman <laughs> that Pete makes Sessions, you sit up. <laughs> Republican of Texas, uh, former chairman of the House of yeah. Rules Committee as well. Joining us on our phone lines, Congressman Sessions, let's just start with what you've been hearing. Uh, you're, you're a little ways away from where this, this storm has been. It's been hanging over uh, Houston. It's headed out to, to the Gulf. But uh, what have you heard from friends and family in Texas about the, the impact of the storm thus far? And, and what have you been communicating to your colleagues who, who don't live in Texas about what needs to happen there? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you ask a great question, and, and we can roll back the tape on the things that happened with Katrina and Sandy. There are, there are similarities of both of those. One, uh, a big package that's going to have to be prepared, where Congress is going to have to be prepared for an initial package. We're going to have to make sure the second and third package, or whatever the long term is, uh, is properly tailored only to the devastation uh, of of this uh, product uh, of, of Harvey. In the shorter term, what we're talking about now is how do we match up schools to bring students and parents, at least one parent up here? How do we look? take a look at what typhoid and tetanus and diarrhea and the, the, the medical uh, outputs of this? How do we take care of elderly people and babies, babies that were in the hospital, uh, hospitals that can no longer uh, support uh, surgeries. How do we move those surgeries to Dallas, Austin, San Antonio? How do we manage uh, the, the problems where we have seniors who are in, in assisted living uh, who are in beds, and how do we move them? How do we move people from this terrible scene, which is not going to go away, uh, mud, debris, the black mold mm. to follow, uh, humidity, misery. We're, this is a long-term effort. It is not a small downtown area. It is millions of people, yeah. and it's still raining, and a bayou there is, is waiting to be inundated. Fortunately, the, the earth and a dam is holding. The, the, the levee is holding. Uh, God is great, but we are going to work together in God's name because we believe as Texans in each other. So long-term effort. This is not – this is months of, of bringing our children to, to, to back to safety, bringing our community back yeah. to where mm-hmm. we need to be. So we got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Congressman, we're watching Marine One land at uh, Andrews Air Force Base. The president going to disembark from that uh, helicopter in just a moment to get on to Air Force One to head down uh, to Texas. A lot has been made of how unprecedented this storm is. It's been called variously a 100-year storm, a 500-year uh, storm. What have About. you learned, 1,000 years, and what have you learned uh, in Congress from uh, Superstorm Sandy, from Hurricane Katrina, about how to respond to disasters uh, like this? Have, have we gotten better? Has the federal government gotten better uh, at responding to disasters? I, I think we have gotten better. What we have not gotten better at is how do we fund it and what all do we throw in and who uses this as an excuse for things. I will guarantee you the Texas delegation is not going to allow that to happen this time. We have had some, we've got some pretty sharp pencils. We've got people who, who see this for what it is. But you just asked the right question. Much of the nation's infrastructure from energy is located here. Much of the infrastructure that, that right. handles pipelines 
it is a big deal. You've been doing this. I, I, I don't want to remind you of this, Congressman, but you've been doing this for 20 years. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's been a long time, to say the least. A number of the research notes we have from Greg Villiers, from Mike Allen over at Axios and others, is that this horrific disaster provides you, Republicans, Democrats, and all in Washington for convenient cover. Does the debt worries, the ceiling worries, the shutdown worries, do they evaporate with this deluge called Harvey? I think they do. I think it focuses us. Let let me see if I can go to the most immediate thing that I have been pressing. Uh, The president needs to finalize every one of his slots that he needs to run this government. Person after person after person. Thank goodness we're not complaining but the people we're dealing with are acting people. They are not in control. They're not yeah. going to be in the long term there. They're not going to be held accountable. And the Senate needs to p- approve every one of these people, unless there's a reason why not, obviously. Uh, but we need to, we, this government better be prepared for a long, long, right. big problem with decision makers. Uh, secondly, uh, where are we going to move? We are going to have to move well, a debt limit. We are going to have to do things. But it's now going to be on a priority right. basis. We're not, I, not, we're not just going to say we're going to add $50 billion and it does. It didn't count. Uh, Congressman, it in the, does time, count. the time we've got left with you, I want David Gurr to jump in here. But as a general question, his support of traditional Republicans is, have they lost their support of Mr. Trump? Is the president still have a support? of Bush Republicans in the 32nd district? Oh, that's that's a valid question. Well, that, can that we get a valid a, answer right now? I mean, I know you've yeah, been, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I know you're focusing yeah, no, on no. Southwestern preseason, but come on. Well, so so let's so let's let's put this into a perspective. What we are is I so here's what I believe. I know Jerry Jones. So I know Donald Trump. And Jerry Jones, for several years, wandered in the dark and tried to be things that was not his, his suit. Jerry Jones and Donald Trump are the same person, and Jerry Jones quit trying to run the football team and became what he was comfortable with and what he made friends with. He became the NFL Man of the Year and has changed uh, the NFL. Donald Trump needs to figure out where his talents, best talents are. And then he will lend them to them. And so really Texans are in, 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 the, in Dallas, Texas, very hopeful that the president very quickly is going to get his team around him, which he does not have. You don't start a barroom fight until you got your team there. He did. He is further along in certain elements that are not favorable to him. So where are most people down here? We need the president that's going to perform well. We want to make America great. But he's got to get his team, and he's got to do like Jerry Jones, do the things that he's comfortable with and let his talent show. That's where we are. David, do you see how every time we talk to a damn congressman (laughs) from Texas, he did everything but mention J.J. Watt. Every conversation turns around to football and the dreaded Dallas Cowboys. There you go. Uh, very it's quickly, we've got about 30 seconds but, left here, Congressman. Jerry Jones had some time to make that transformation. How much time are you and your constituents prepared to give this president? 
This is the point. Learn quickly, Mr. President. Learn quickly. Make friends with the things you're supposed to do. Get top flight people. He's got some. Listen to him and and go go find out where your strike zone is. And then remember, the success for rain dance has a lot to do with timing. Now now's the time. Pete Sessions from Texas, a Republican from Texas. As you said, he's got the toughest job in Texas. You know, what's he doing when one of the bushes caught up? Well, you know, I was thinking. <laughs> Some zoning issues, whatever, whatever, whatever it may be. He's got to yeah. field those calls. Pete Sessions of the 32nd from Dallas. District in Texas. So, yeah, the chairman of the House Rules Committee joining us on our phone lines. This is a really important interview. In fact, I would argue, folks, this is the interview of the day. Uh, The gentleman is from the Heritage Foundation, and he understands the distance from Vladivostok to Sapporo, from Vladivostok to Tokyo, and much more importantly, the car ride from Vladivostok to the border of North Korea, where it meets with China. Uh, Bruce Klinger is with the Heritage Foundation uh, with an extraordinary career with CIA and defense uh, as well. Mr. Klinger joining us on our phone lines. Bruce, let me ask the easy question before David asks smarter questions. Yeah. Do we have a clue what the North Koreans are doing? We, we underestimated intelligence on Russia back in the time of Gorbachev. Do we have a knowledge base on North Korea? Well, North Korea, we refer to at CIA as the hardest of the hard targets. And when I used to work the Soviet Union and then switched over to North Korea, I was uh, sort of amazed at how much less we knew about North Korea than the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, that said, our, our knowledge on different subjects uh, sort of varies. We have a greater knowledge of conventional forces than, you know, the exact number of nuclear weapons. But we also have decades of experience with you know, North Korean actions and and have a fairly good idea of what they do and don't do. Um, You know, the North Korean leader is not irrational. He's not crazy, as as some pointed out, uh, nor was his father. Obviously a brutal, terrible dictator, but not, uh, you know, going to wake up some morning and just start a nuclear war. Uh, You know, we know that they're continuing their quest for the ability to hit the United States and, uh, and our allies with nuclear weapons. They can already do that to South Korea and Japan, and then now they're continuing their development of several mm-hmm. other missiles, uh, missiles that can hit our bases in Guam, as well as uh, the ICBM, which we saw fly twice in, in July. Bruce, what, what do we have at our disposal uh, now? I read the statement earlier on the show from the president about the most recent uh, missile test. I read a statement from the, the U.N. Secretary General uh, as well. Sanctions uh, have been tried time and time again. I think we're on our eighth round of sanctions here against North Korea from, from the U.N., What's left in, in that toolkit? And uh, there, there seems to be wide distaste or, or trepidation about some sort of military action here. But what's left at the U.S.'s disposal at this point to deal with what we've seen North Korea doing? Well, it, it's there, as people have said, North Korea is the, the land of bad options. Um, you know, with, with sanctions, I'd argue there's a, a lot of misperceptions or mischaracterizations is that you know, when people say sanctions have failed, it's more like, you know, timid, incremental implementation of sanctions have failed. It, it's like if the mayor of a city says he's very tough on crime, but then directs the police not to arrest many of the criminals. Well, you know, you, you shouldn't blame the police or you yeah. shouldn't blame the laws themselves. So 
you know, we, the U.S., for example, has unilaterally imposed $12 billion in fines on European banks for money laundering for Iran. We've imposed $0 in fines on any Chinese bank. Uh, last year was the first year that the U.S. had finally, finally cumulatively sanctioned as many North Korean entities as we had sanctioned those of Sudan yeah. and Zimbabwe. So, you know, we have been pulling our punches. Uh, recently, the administration has, has started right. to go after some secondary violators in China. I'm hoping we'll see much more of that. Bruce Klinger with us for the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Robert Sinch emailing in. Thank you, Bob, for listening uh, this morning. And on your good question, David, on strong yen, he also mentions the current account surpluses in Japan and uh, Eurozone supporting uh, those currencies. But again, I, I guess it's the idea of stability there. Bruce Klinger, within that, can Japan defend itself? or are they at risk and in harm's way because of the ghosts of World War II? Well, they, they do have a, a fairly extensive ballistic missile defense network. Uh, the other times that North Korea flew over them with missiles in 1998 and 2009 really spurred a, a deployment as well. Okay, as well, then why didn't they shoot this missile out of the sky? That's been our money question this morning. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, if, if you're well, not going to shoot this one out, which one are you going to shoot? Well, it's really a matter of physics. Is by the time a North Korean missile is flying over Japan and not directed at Japan, it's higher than the capability of okay. the uh, standard missile, three missiles that they have. So it'd be like a shortstop See? saying, I'm going to catch every ball to the outfield. Well, it's simply over his head. Right. He can't reach it. But if the missile were directed at Japan just as a ball directed at a shortstop, well, then they can yeah. intercept it because it's within range. See, this works because Mr. Klinger understands, David, it's Trigonometry Tuesday uh -huh. here at there you go. Surveillance. Oh, I thought, I That's thought. how we got into tangent theta. I thought I thought that it might be. What's what's the uh, what's what's your prescription here with how to deal uh, with China? The, the president uh, met with the president of China in Florida. Uh, by his account, they they hit things off. They had a good relationship. Just a couple months later, he expressed his disappointment uh, on Twitter and in public just about uh, how little China had done with regard to enforcing sanctions on on North Korea. What more can can China be doing? How do how do you compel China to do more? Well, there, I'd, I'd say there, we, we need to divorce diplomacy from law enforcement. Uh -huh. So with diplomacy, we continue to cajole, implore, pressure China to do more to uh, implement what are required UN Security Council resolution sanctions. Uh, you know, so North Korea, or I'm sorry, China, they always talk a good game. They always promise every successor president that they'll do more. Uh, and we've always been disappointed. So you know, th that's the diplomatic track. It's been frustrating. Uh, Beijing has allowed incrementally stronger resolutions, but then they tend to under-enforce uh, them. But uh, the U.S. can actually do a lot with our own laws because the vast majority of all international financial transactions in the world are denominated in dollars, and that includes China's and North Korea's. That means they have to go through U.S. banks. That actually gives us tremendous leverage yeah. that we have not been using. So... We can seize and freeze assets. We can impose fines on, on entities. We can uh, prevent them from accessing the U.S. financial system, which is a kiss of death for any financial institution. Yeah. Uh, we haven't been doing that. And you can, you can influence, you can wean away, you can peel away the Chinese banks and businesses that have been dealing with North Korea, uh, regardless yeah. of what the Chinese government wants or doesn't want. So we saw in the past when we, we took that action in 2005, 2006, we got the Bank of China to defy the government of China and cut off its engagement with North Korea. Well, then the U.S. 
backtracked. We reversed the uh, the, the decision, and, and then Bank of China right. went back to engaging with North Korea. So, sort of regardless of what China, the Chinese government is saying, we can influence those Chinese banks and businesses to make to have them make the decision: Do you want to do business with North Korea, or do you want to have access to the yeah. U.S. financial system? Bruce Klinger, thank you so much. He is with uh, the Heritage Foundation, and of course, former CIA. Deputy Division Chief for uh, Korea. Very valuable comments as well. It is great to be back. Thanks to all of our surveillance team for uh, moving forward through August. I really look at this, David, as the beginning of September, uh, really the beginning of the fall season where the news flow has been extraordinary. Yeah, just one more day. And of course, I'm just so happy. <laughs> I'm just so happy to be back. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.